Amen. Well, good morning, Orchardville Church. Wow, welcome to a new world, huh? <laughs> I mean, it's good to see all of you that, that decided to uh, brave, bravely come out uh, today and join us. Uh, we totally understand those uh, who are a little concerned and stayed home. And we encouraged everybody, by the way, if, if you are uh, in one of those categories where you are potentially uh, susceptible uh, or you're not feeling well, by all means, stay home. This is the beauty of technology. We can have people worship with us from home. I will tell you one benefit of being here today is that uh, we have toilet paper here. <laughs> so that's a real plus. Uh, we are going to be monitoring those. Security is going to be watching the bathrooms uh, when people leave. Make sure that the toilet paper we started with is still here. <laughs> and we're glad you're here. Check it on social media if you haven't already. And uh, make sure you share today's uh, service on your uh, Facebook page, Facebook Live. And then after you've done that, uh, turn to Exodus chapter 20. Check in on social media, share Facebook Live. And then turn to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to open in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for the time that we've had together already. God, thank you for uh, the ability to worship. Uh, Lord, here together with brothers and sisters and the ability to worship digitally, remotely, where people who are not well or, or just could not be with us today can still participate uh, in this viable and beautiful uh, expression of love toward you through worship. God, thank you for the prayers uh, that have already been offered up, and I, I just pray that you'll anoint them, and Lord, that you'll anoint this message today, and that people will uh, see you with fresh eyes in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. amen. All right. So if I told you this morning uh, that somebody has been struck by the green-eyed monster, what would I be telling you? They're jealous. We have always called jealousy the green-eyed monster, right? And, and listen, that's a bad thing. It's a very, very, very bad thing. In fact, if you look up the definition of jealous, which I'm going to put on the screen for you here, uh, the, the, the uh, de dictionary uh, says that jealous is feeling or showing envy of someone or their achievements and advantages. In other words, uh, you are either envious or jealous of someone or something. You're jealous of, of who they are or you're jealous of, of what they have. Either way, it's a really, really bad thing. So when we say that somebody has been struck by the green-eyed monster, when we say that someone is envious or we say that they're jealous, it's bad. It's really bad. In fact, let's look at a few things that the Bible says about jealousy. All right, so I'm going to put all of these on the screen for you. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. I'm going to be reading these out of the Amplified Version because the Amplified gives a few more words uh, descriptors uh, in some of the verses. So I'm going to use all of those for this. So Proverbs 14, 30, Solomon says that a calm and undisturbed mind and heart are the life and the health of the body. So that's good. But envy, jealousy, and wrath 
are like rottenness to the bones. So that, that first part, a, a calm, undisturbed my heart and life, hey, that's a great thing. That is so good for you. But once you start trending in the direction of envy and jealousy, he said that is rottenness to the bone. Solomon was the first one to say that it's bad to the bone. It's b- 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 bad to the bone. <laughs> yes, it is. All right. So in other words, Solomon is saying envy and jealousy, this is a really bad thing. Paul in the book of Romans chapter 129, this is a passage of scripture where Paul is talking about uh, the things that he despises, what God despises. And, and he goes on in, in all of that chapter, in chapter one of, of Romans chapter one, he, he talks about that people who do this are eventually uh, going to seek their own destruction because of what they do. And he says that until they were filled, which is permeated and saturated with every kind of unrighteousness, iniquity, grasping and covetous greed and malice, they were full of envy and jealousy, murder, strife, deceit, and treachery, ill will, and cruel ways. They were secret backbiters and gossipers. In other words, Paul is saying that these are things that God detests, that he hates, and people at some point, he'll just let you seek your own destruction. And once you start moving down this road, if you don't turn around and start moving back toward God, you're gonna find yourself in a terrible, terrible condition and situation. So this is, this is a word of warning from Paul about where this will eventually take you. Then he writes to Titus in Titus chapter three, verse three. Um, and leading up to Titus 3, three, Paul is, is writing about uh, how Christians ought to live, how, how they ought to conduct themselves in the world. And so then he says in 3.3, he says, for we also were once thoughtless and senseless. We were obstinate and disobedient. We were deluded and misled. We too were once slaves to all sorts of cravings and pleasures, wasting our days in malice and jealousy and envy, hateful and hating one another. Hey, We used to be like that, is what Paul was saying. As a Christ follower, he was just describing before that how we ought to live, but remembering and reminding Titus, hey, all of us who are are now Christ followers, we used to be guilty of those very same things. And if you remember Jehovah Mekadishkum, the Lord who sanctifies you, who sets you apart and makes you different. This is one of those ways that we're supposed to be different. You know, the world used to live like this. It still lives like this. You used to live like this, but now we don't live like that anymore. Why? Because Romans 129 tells us that it takes us down a very, very dangerous and bad road. First Peter chapter two, verse one, Peter's also in the middle of talking about how Christians should live and how our lives should be different and set apart. And so he says this, so be done with every trace of wickedness, depravity and malignity and all deceit and insincerity, pretense and hypocrisy and grudges, envy and jealousy and slander and evil speaking of every kind. 
be done with it. Paul says, I mean, Peter says, be done with it. You might have lived that way once, but be done with it. And he's talking in that list, including this idea of envy and jealousy. So when we teach our kids not to be jealous, we're we're teaching them something good. But, But what if I told you this morning that not all jealousy is bad? We just read all those verses about how jealousy is bad and we ought to be done with it. But what if, in fact, I told you that not only is it not always bad, but that God is so jealous that one of the names by which he is known, in fact, one of the names that he calls himself, is jealous. How does that make sense when Peter told us to get rid of all jealousy and be done with it? How does, how does that make sense? How does it make sense that we read all these verses about how jealousy is such a bad thing and yet God himself calls his own name jealous? Do you know that lots of words have multiple meanings and and implications? And some words have, have implications that are positive and negative. I'll just give you a couple. All right, so if I told you that someone was thrifty, how many of you, the first, the first image that pops in your mind when you hear thrifty is negative? If, if somebody's thrifty, that's a negative description. All right, there's several. Okay, if you hear somebody's thrifty, you, you see that as positive. Okay, more than not, but there's, there's both sides. So some people can be thrifty in that, you know, we're, we're really smart with our money. And some people are thrifty and they're just cheap. Right? They're just cheapskates. Don't want to spend a dime, you know, or, or here's another word. How about, how about picky, picky? All right. How many of you, if somebody is described as picky, that you see that in a, in a positive light, if they're picky. Okay. There's somebody you see picky as positive. How many you see picky as negative? All right. So you get the idea here. I mean, because sometimes picky can, can mean that people are very, very careful. Right? We're very careful. We want to be smart in, in, in the choices that we make, so I'm very picky. Sometimes picky just means they're an irritating jerk. Right? Probably more times than not. All right? But in either case, those two words can be, can, they can be taken negatively or they can be taken positively. Well, I want to give you another definition for jealous this morning. I'll put it all on the screen for you. Fiercely protective or vigilant of one's rights or possessions. Fiercely protective or vigilant of one's rights or possessions. Now, Jealous and jealousy may be a word before this morning that you may never have thought of in a positive light. You may have always had that negative implication of jealous and jealousy when you hear that word. But this morning, I want to introduce you to a jealous God. And it is a beautiful thing. Elkanah, the Lord, whose name is Jealous. Look at Exodus chapter 20. And in Exodus chapter 20, we know this section of scripture as the Ten Commandments. Uh, 
And in Exodus chapter 20, uh, in verse 5, uh, or verse 4, God is telling everybody not to make any idols, not any carved images. And in verse 5, he says, you shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, I've put on the screen for you there, the Lord your God. Now, that first God, G-O-D, that's Elohim. You might remember the very first name that we looked at of God was Elohim. It's Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God, Elohim. In the beginning, God. So Elohim is a jealous, which is the word kana, God, which is short for uh, um, Elohim. That's where we get El Kana from. God calls himself a jealous God or Elkanah. And I'm here to tell you this morning that that is truly a wonderful thing. Exodus 34, 14. Just flip over to that if you've got your Bible open to Exodus. 34, 14. He says, For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. The Lord whose name is jealous. He, and just in case they had forgotten what happened just a few uh, chapters earlier, he reminds them, hey, pay attention. The Lord's name is jealous. Deuteronomy 4, 24, another uh, section where we see this, the Lord your God is a consuming fire. He's a jealous God. And by the way, consuming fire, you guys that uh, go out and you chase fires, um, what, is, what is it when, when a building is completely burning up and there's nothing you can do? You call it fully involved, fully engulfed. Which one is it? Fully engulfed. All right. When, when, a, when a building is on fire and it's fully engulfed, you know what? It's going to burn everything up in it. It is so intense. It is so hot. And it is all consuming. And God says that's the kind of God that he is in his jealousy. It is a consuming fire. Now, there are two other places that this name of a jealous God is mentioned. I won't put those up for you, but it's Deuteronomy 5.9. And Deuteronomy 6.15, but we read five different times that God calls himself a jealous God. Now, listen, there are very few places in the Bible where God actually tells us what his name is. There's very few. And so when he says, this is my name, we ought to sit up and pay attention. And why? Here in this place, he calls himself a jealous God, and we've always seen jealous as a bad thing. So what is this jealousy? Why would he call himself jealous? Now, that, this is probably confusing to you this morning. As God calls himself jealous, and we think jealousy is a bad thing, and it is a bad thing. At least the first definition that we looked at was bad. But in this case, if God's all-powerful, and he is, and he already possesses everything, and he does, then how could he possibly be jealous? 
I mean, what is, what is there to be jealous of? And, and how, how can that possibly even be a good thing when Peter said, get rid of all of that? Well, the first mention of God calling his name jealous is in giving the Ten Commandments. And as we read, God tells his people not to worship other gods. And the reason is that he's jealous. So does that mean that there are other gods? Hey, don't you, don't you worship other gods? And bad? So do, is he saying there are other gods and he's jealous of them? Is that what he's, is that what he's saying? And, and what about God is love, right? If, if God is love, how, how can he be jealous? Isn't jealousy selfishness? I mean, that's the way we always see jealousy is selfishness. And true love, as we've talked about it before, agape love, that is selflessness. So if, if jealousy is selfishness, how can love, a loving God, be a selfless God at the same time? Well, let me give you a few definitions of kana. It's translated most of the time in the scripture as jealous or zealous or envy. Those, those three words. I mean, we'll almost always translate kana in those three words in our English Bibles. And we almost always associate jealousy and envy with being jealous or envious of what you don't have. And in fact, that was our first definition. The jealousy of what you don't have. You're jealous of a person and their situation, or you're jealous of what they have. In either case, it's what you don't have. You don't have their status. You don't, you don't have their popularity. You don't have their privilege. You don't have their possessions. It is being jealous of what you don't have. But I'm here to tell you this morning that jealousy can also be about what you are in possession of. It is what you do have. And you love it so much, as the definition says on the screen, that you're fiercely protective or vigilant about it. It's so important to you that you don't want to lose it. So as we read these words where God says, I'm a jealous God, and he uses Elkanah, the underlying meaning of this is in relation to a marriage context. Jealous within the idea of a marriage relationship. How many of you this morning remember that in the Old Testament, God is often referred to as Israel's husband? Familiar with that? Okay. How many of you know that in the New Testament, the church is usually referred to as the bride of Christ the groom? Here is God saying that in the context of that kind of relationship, that covenantal marriage relationship, he is a jealous God of what he already possesses and what belongs to him, and he is fiercely protective of it. 2 Corinthians 11, chapter 2, Paul says, I'm jealous for you, Paul's, Paul's jealous, with a godly jealousy. So does this sound something like is bad? No. Paul is saying, I'm jealous of you with a godly jealousy. I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin 
to Christ. Now, the New Living Translation, he just says it this way. I promised you as a pure bride to Christ. Now, church, I think this is in some ways, this is one of those um, pictures. It's one of those images that is unsettling, especially for us as men. And I'll speak for myself. I have a hard time sometimes with this imagery in the scripture. I love my wife. I love Leslie. She is my bride. And I am jealous of her in a fiercely protective way. I hope the rest of you husbands feel the same way about your wife. And I'm expecting and assuming that you do. All right? But it's hard for me sometimes to put myself in the other side of that coin. That I become the bride. But the scripture tells us that God is the husband. His people in the Old Testament Israel were his bride. Jesus is the groom. And the church in the New Testament, which is all believers, are the bride. And you and I, if we are saved, if we are born again... We are in this interesting relationship with God that is a covenantal relationship where we are the bride, he is the groom, and we belong to him, and he belongs to us. Isaiah 43.1, God says, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. I have redeemed you. Now, I'm just going to stop there for a second because redeem, if I redeem something, what did I just do? I bought it back, right? To redeem something is to purchase it back. There's there's an expense involved. There's an effort involved. And God says, I have purchased you. How did God, how did Jesus purchase us in the New Testament? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. He purchased us. He redeemed us. So he says, I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. Read these next three words with me. You are mine. You are Mine, says the Lord. Now, again, I think sometimes it's hard for us to put ourselves in the context of that at a, just a, a personal level. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kind of paint a story here for you and, and see if you can relate to it this way. Imagine that you're a king and... and Ladies, this is your chance to be a king. (laughs) Imagine that you're a king. You can have any woman in the entire kingdom that you desire to have as a bride. Any woman in the kingdom to have as your wife and to live the rest of your life with in that capacity. You could choose any woman. And as the king, you decide that you are going to go out into the street and you're going to find a woman who has been living in shame, living on the street corner, 
selling her body and you go out and you bring her into your home. You forgive her. You marry her. Now, you, in some ways, you'd have every right, if you're the king in this scenario, to give this new bride of yours the worst chores in the castle, right? I just brought you in off the street. I just brought you in from a life of shame and degradation. I put you in a nice place. I gave you a good bed. You got good food, but you're going to pay for it. Man, you're going to pay for it. You're going to scrub the floor on your knees the rest of your life. You're going to carry all the water around. You're going to do every menial chore in this place that there is to do. And you should be grateful, right? You should be grateful. You could still be out on the street begging. You could still be out on the street being knocked around. You could still be out on the street wondering if you're even going to have food for the next 48 hours. So I was good to you. So I can treat you any old way that I want to. But no, you're a king that is gracious and merciful. And instead of giving the worst chores in the castle to this new wife of yours, you not only give her the privileges of of a wife, you make her a queen. What a beautiful picture. But what if that woman, given such grace, and such mercy, instead of responding in gratitude and love to her redeemer king, goes right back out on the street, giving her body to anybody who will pay her any attention. Now, if you're a casual observer watching this story, you're thinking to yourself, why in the world would any woman ever do that? When there's, when there's a king in the kingdom and the castle that has come out and rescued you from a horrible life condition, from a horrible situation, and has given you the, the, the integrity and the place of a queen and is treating you with the utmost respect, the utmost integrity, why in the world would you ever go back out into the street and give yourself away to anyone who wants you? Anybody just thinking through this and looking at this picture would think that, right? I mean, it would make no sense. And yet, church, that is what too many of us as Christians do on a daily basis. See, we serve a Redeemer King who came to us, brought us out of the street brought us out of a terrible situation. And in the context of a marriage relationship, he has given us honor. He has given us integrity. He has given us an elevated status. Why in the world would we ever look for anything else? And yet so many times, rather than staying true and and committed to this relationship that we have with our husband, Redeemer King, we go right back out into the street and we give our loyalty and ourself to anybody who will offer their attention to us. And because God is a jealous God, his jealousy is about what he already has and is fiercely protective of it. And you know what? I love my bride in such a way that I will not tolerate something that is going to be destructive to her. 
Do I have any other men that feel that way about their wives in here? I'm not okay with something that's destructive to her. I want to save her from that, whatever that is. That's what our jealous God is. Because you remember Jesus said that no man can serve two masters? You remember that? He said, you can't serve two masters because you will either love the one or serve the one and hate the other, or you'll serve this one and hate that one, right? Divided loyalty is no loyalty at all. You can't be loyal to God over here, and you can't be loyal to the world and the things of the world at the same time. It doesn't work. And so God knows, and he said in the Ten Commandments, don't serve any other gods. Don't let anything replace the priority of me in your life. Why? Because when you do, you are putting yourself in a destructive, damaging place to destroy your own life. And he loves us. He's jealous enough of us too much to just watch that happen. I find great peace. I find great comfort in that. Um, we're not going to have an altar call this morning, but I'm going to ask uh, just the musicians to come up and play. God's jealous for you this morning. He's jealous for you. He wants your time. He wants your love. He wants your worship. Why? Because he's needy? No. Because he loves you so much. He's jealous of protecting you, and he knows that if you don't give him those things, it will ultimately be to your detriment. So this morning, as we close the service, rather than having an altar call, we're just, we're just going to pray where you are. And I'm going to challenge you to just come back to the Lord this morning. You may have just felt yourself in just a little bit of that picture of the rescued queen, the rescued wife, been brought out of a terrible situation, but then going right back out to the street. And maybe you're not living in a riotous, horrendous, sinful way, but your allegiance, your loyalty isn't to the one who pulled you off the street. You appreciate the food in the house. You appreciate the nice bed to lay down in, but you don't live in relationship to that king that saved you and brought you in from the cold. And he loves you enough, he's ready to just meet you right back, bring you right back. You know, there's a story in Hosea, you should read it sometime if you've never read the book of Hosea. 
In Hosea, God tells his prophet, I want you to go out and uh, I want you to find a prostitute and I want you to marry her. Because that's the way my people have treated me. They've gone out, they've given themselves to anything and everything but me. And I want you to bring her into your home. I want you to to bring her into your life. I want you to treat her with respect. And you know what she did? She went right back out in the street. And you know what God told Hosea to do? Go get her. Go get her. That's the jealous God. That's the Elkanah God that loves you this morning enough to no matter what you've done, no matter how badly you may have treated him, said, I want your best. That over there is not your best. I want to bring you back. I want to restore you again. God's ready to meet you again this morning. Maybe you aren't living that way, but you just haven't valued and appreciated the protective nature of his love for you. You've just kind of taken it for granted. And so in the next... 60 seconds, two minutes or so. We're just going to give you a time of prayer where you are to just talk to the Lord in relationship with Him. And you make whatever agreements with Him, make whatever restoration with Him that you need as the instruments play. Father, as we think about your jealous nature this morning, help us to see how beautiful that is. God, because you love us so much, you only want what is best for us. God, help us to stop running from you toward other things. Seeking our pleasure, seeking our affirmation, seeking our value, our worth in other places, other people. But 
Lord, to just relish the depth and the breadth of love that you have for us as an Elkanah jealous God. Lord, help us to see how rich, how deep, how wide it is, how persistent it is. Lord, help us to choose whenever things are in competition with one another. Lord, help us to choose you. Help us to remember what you've done for us, where you brought us from. Why you have every right to our love, our devotion, our loyalty, our worship. And God, it is not about religion in any shape, form, or fashion. It is about relationship with the one who loves us so much that you gave everything for us. Lord, as we talk about these names, I just pray that they'll just help us to have a a picture of you that just helps us to fall more in love with you every day. To be more committed to you every day. And Lord, as the world around us goes a little crazy, Help us to not be shaken. Help us to not live in fear. But to live in confidence that we have a jealous God who always wants to love us and protect us in a way that is for our best. So God, we thank you for that. We ask that you help us to walk out today with more and more of that awareness in each and everything that we do, in each and every step that we take. We ask these things, Lord, in your name. Amen.